Welcome to the Hockey Strength Podcast, the official podcast of SCAF, the Strength Conditioning Association of Professional Hockey. My name is David Rosales, and today I'm joined by Mr. Chad Drummond. He is the head strength conditioning coach of the Edmonton Oilers. You may have heard of him. We talk about a lot of fun stuff. We start off by talking about kind of how he got his job in Edmonton and, and more broadly what it's like to get a job in the NHL and sort of that process and different ways of going about it, especially in this century. We dive really deep into eccentric training because him and his team, well, his uh, Joel Jackson and his former assistant Patrick Love wrote an awesome article about eccentric training for our website, so we kind of dive into his philosophies around that. We talk about the difference between something being important versus interesting and why that matters. There's a little tease. And we also talk about some other fun stuff like active recovery and what it's like to what or what's something he's learned from Connor McDavid. So this is a fun episode. Chad's awesome. Uh, I learned a lot in this one and I hope you do too. So without further ado, here is Chad Drummond. Chad, welcome to the Hawk Strength Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, dude. We were just we were just talking off air about uh kind of how you started that Edmonton. So I wanted to go back even further. What was your to set some context? What was your first strength conditioning job at all, or even like as a personal trainer or like any anything fitness related? Yeah, I started off at a gym in in Edmonton called Body by Bennett, and the guy that owned it, his name was Simon Bennett, and he he was kind of like the hockey guy at, at the time. So any local guys in in Edmonton. Um, you know, for the most part, there was a couple other local guys doing it, but he was kind of the guy and he had a lot of big name hockey players, some big name Edmonton Oilers that would stay here year round, like your Georgia rocks and, uh, you know, your Sean Horkoffs, your Mike Comrie's guys like that he would work with. Um, so I got in with him at, at an early age and I worked with him for a number of years and I started in 2006 and then in 2010, he actually brought me on with the Oilers in more of kind of like assistant capacity. And, and, and back then it was, uh, it was more of like a strength coach for hire. So I'd come in and, you know, he, he would give me the program and I'd help deliver the programming. And then I'd basically leave. And, you know, on, on game days, if he had a lot of scratch guys, if there were some injured guys, he'd bring me in and I'd kind of help him out. But I wasn't really involved in any big decisions. I wasn't involved in any kind of on ice tracking. I wasn't involved in, you know, what we were doing from a nutrition perspective or anything like that. It was basically a strength coach to, for hire. And then in 2012, I got hired on as the head guy. And, you know, that was a little bit of a learning curve came, came with that just because my experience was a little bit limited in, in the pro world. I didn't travel with the team. I didn't do anything like that. And of course I'd always ask Simon questions and try and get lots of information from 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 him but uh but it was still a little bit of a learning curve when I started in 2012 and then you know I've been full-time since then and Simon he stayed on for a couple years in more of like a director capacity and it was kind of around like 2014-ish he started to kind of work his way out and it's kind of been my department to run ever since. I think this makes me think of Sean Scan had a really awesome tweet. Probably it was like a year ago, so I'm just pulling this out of my brain. Where he was like, realistically, like when you get an NHL job, like you're getting it because like I know you or Kevin Neal knows you or Mike Potenza knows you or someone who one of us knows knows you and recommends you. And I feel like that holds up a lot of time. So how did you get like how did you get that first that first introduction to Edmonton where you just like knock on doors like, hey, I want to be your for hire assistant strength coach? Like, what was that process like? 
Yeah, like you're right. Like that's where it's so important to make sure you're you're networking and you know building that network. Like when you're going to different conferences, you know, make sure you're meeting people. Make sure you're introducing yourself. If you know you get the opportunity to to work with some pro teams in any level or any capacity, it's you know trying to make relationships with coaches and, and general managers because you'll get a little bit of recycling. Like a guy like Sean Skahan, like he was in Anaheim and then he was um, at BU and then he went to Minnesota. So those guys kind of move around a little bit, and a lot of the time they start moving around with their with their coaches or their general managers or you know, maybe a director or someone that they've, they've built relationships with. So it is hard to get your foot in the door and, and, and even, you know, stuff like building a social media presence, which I'm terrible at, um, but building a bit of a social media presence where, you know, you can, you can network through there. You don't have to be at, at a course, but you can meet people online and, you know, share some, some information and, you know, show that, you know, something. Um, so that, that, yeah, that's kind of the way you work in, but with Simon, like, when I was first trying to get into the business locally, I was looking at who was doing hockey training and, and who was doing it really well. And I ended up doing an internship with, with Simon and I learned a lot and I was hungry for more. And I was lucky enough that he hired me on and, you know, right away I, I was busy and I was working with lots of athletes at, at tons of different levels and different ages, which was a good learning and growth experience for, for me. And then I think it was about 2007 Simon got hired on with the team and he got hired on through his connection. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you worked with Mike Comrie from a very young age and Mike Comrie was an Edmonton Oiler at the time. And um, so he built relationships with guys like Craig McTavish. And at that time, they were actually using a guy's name is Chad Morrow, Ethan Morrow's brother. And he was based out of LA. So he was coming in and out and doing the strength and conditioning. And they're like, well, we got to do a better job of this. We need somebody local. And then they ended up hiring Simon. And then Simon inevitably brought me on through, you know, some of the work that I was doing at, at Body by Bennett. Um, so yeah, networking and, and relationships. And, you know, not to discount education. Education is important. And you need to make sure you're, you're checking that box and make sure you're building off, you know, of a, of a resume on, on the education front. Um, but if you want to make, make your way in here, it's, it's building those relationships. And with that, there was sweat equity. Like when I was, when I was working as the assistant, I, I wasn't under salary. I, I was getting an hourly wage and Simon's gym that I was at was way on the West end of town. So it was on the other side from the rink. So I would have to drive all the way in, take me 30 minutes to get there. There'd be a little bit of setup time. And then I would get paid for my hour and then I'd have to drive all the way back. So there was a lot of, you know, wasted time within my day where I could be potentially making some money, but I, I felt there was a potential upside there and I was willing to put in the, the sweat equity for, you know, the end result, which is, you know, being able to get in with the protein. I love that sweat equity. Did you, is that, is that your saying or did you, did you steal that? I, I, I definitely didn't coin it. I'm not sure where I got it from, but I definitely didn't coin it. Um, I, I, I've heard it somewhere along the, along the lines. I love that. I'll add one more piece to the social media discussion is I feel like people a lot of times get caught up in like trying to get a lot of followers. And I think like I'll invoke two things. One, Kevin Kelly, 1000 true fans, which it just says like one true fan is worth way more than like a thousand just like followers. And then specifically with like within like our context is like think about using social media as almost like your resume for like other strength coaches to see you like you totally. don't need 
you don't need a thousand or 10,000 followers. Like you need, you need one, you need the right person at the right time to be like, Oh, this person's producing like interesting ideas. Like they're clearly like invested in like their continuing education. They clearly know how to present themselves. So that's kind of like how I think about social media a lot these days is my active resume. Totally. And if, if you're putting out good content, the right people will find you. And, and like you said, like, I, I like, I like your term active resume because now people get a look into you and into what you're doing and they start kind of building uh, a bit of a, a relationship, if you will, um, you know, on you as a practitioner versus you just handing a resume that has, you know, no context, no feeling or anything like that behind it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, okay, cool. Let's shift gears a little bit. I listened to your podcast with Anthony Donskov. So I'm going to try to, we're going to mostly like not touch on a lot of those same topics because Anthony did an awesome job. So if people like this episode, hundred percent, check that one out after this. And Anthony mentioned offhand towards the beginning that you also do in your role, even though you're head SNC guy, you have, you kind of have a whole team there and you're still doing a lot of the nutrition and supplementation stuff. So why don't you tell, tell us about what, like, what is that nutrition role for you with the Oilers? Yeah. So again, kind of going back to my previous comment, like when I got brought in with the team, there, there was a bit of a learning curve there. So when I got hired on, I felt like I had all the tools to be a great strength and conditioning coach. I knew about developing speed. I knew about developing strength. I knew about developing power. Um, so I had all these great tools for, for, for the weight room. Um, but then I realized like, or not that I realized I, I had to experience is like, Hey, Chad, what do you want to do for nutrition? What do you want to serve for breakfast? What do you want to serve for pregame? What do you want to serve for lunch? What do you want to serve for postgame? Um, what should we do for supplementation? Oh, by the way, there's a heart rate monitor system over there. We need you to manage that. Oh, and then you got to put together reports and you got to communicate those reports with, with, with the rest of the coaching staff. And then return to play. We have this complex injury, which is your new complex problem. How are you going to solve that, that problem? So I, I, I learned right away, like, man, I got to wear a lot of different hats. And, you know, I, ideally you would have this robust staff where you have people in place that can do those things. But unfortunately, you know, the reality is, and it's changing now, um, but the reality at that time was you got hired on, you had to manage all these things. And I did have some access to nutrition. So I had a guy, his name was Ricky Ng at that time. He actually works for the Vegas Raiders now excellent nutritionist. Um, I had access to him, but only in a consulting capacity. So if we, if we, if I needed to build out menus, I would consult with him. We would talk about the supplementation, but, you know, ultimately it was up to me to organize the food through the building, you know, make sure it got in there, make sure it was presented well, make sure it was cleaned up. I had to manage a budget. So I'm not falling in line with my budget. So it is the food that I want to order. Can I work that in? Um, same with supplement. It was my responsibility to start ordering the supplements. And then you get put in a position, at, again, at that time, where you have to answer a lot of the questions. So if there's a question around like, okay, I've torn this ligament, what should we be doing for supplementation and nutrition? How are we going to adjust it? Or there's a head injury. How are we going to adjust their supplementation? How are we going to adjust their nutrition? Um, so there was a lot of like learning on the fly. So if I could go back and talk to, you know, me circuit 2004, 2005 would be, you know, continue to learn within your industry, continue to be the best strength coach or learn how to be the best strength coach I can, but also look outside of, you know, that area and that department. So, you know, do a little bit more work on nutrition, 
add more courses. Like I had PN nutrition and, you know, basic nutrition from, from, from university and, and that was about it. Right. So, um, you know, how can I be more robust in that area? And maybe it's not always, you know, taking a course, but, you know, reading multiple books, um, networking with other people that are strong in that, in that area, picking their brains. Um, you know, same with like on the data science, like that's such a big part of what we do is putting together information and being able to present it, you know, being able to go to at that time, some data science courses, maybe going to a local college and taking, you know, an additional stats course to, to learn a little bit more and, 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 and get a little bit stronger. And now courses and everything are so easier and they're at your fingertips or networking's at your fingertip, but you know, at that time is a little bit more challenging. So again, if I could go back, it would be, you know, building a better skill set. And, you know, something that I realized over time is we are generalists and we're not specialists. And there is a little bit of a difference between the private business world and then working for, for a team. And again, in a team, you have to be uh, more of a generalist. And even now, like I do have a nutritionist on staff and, um, you know, we do have a site, a sports psych department and, you know, I do have help on the data science. And so there is more help there. But again, being more of a generalist allows me to have conversations with these different professionals, allows me to properly hire these different professionals um, and allows me to give them direction. So what do I want to see? What do we want to accomplish in a, in a department? And you have the skill set or the, the knowledge in those different areas. You don't even know how to start those conversations. You know, even stuff like managing people, you know, I now have a staff that I have to manage. And you know, luckily before I got in, I, I was, one of my roles was managing a facility. So I had a little bit of experience managing staff and running staff meetings. Um, but again, going back to the younger version of me is, you know, that's something in the future that I would have to do. You know, what can I do to bolster my skill set at a young age? There's a cool distinction I like. I don't know who said this, so I'm gonna have to find it, but it's the difference between just in case information and just in time information. And I feel like in the strength coach role, a lot of the time I'm like, oh, this person has a head injury. What supplement should they take? Okay, I'm gonna Google traumatic brain injuries and find out that like ketones might help and like like whatever. And sometimes yeah. you're like prepared in having the courses. And I think like a lot of times people can get caught up in trying to have too much prepared ahead of time. And then you're still gonna get hit with like the just in case information as well. Does that totally. does it resonate with you? Yeah, like we have we have um I don't really want to put this. We have um, we've already preset kind of like our prescriptions of what if. So if we have a head injury, what are we doing? So what are we doing from a supplement standpoint? What are we doing from a nutrition standpoint? What are we doing from an exercise standpoint? You know, how are we evaluating it? And that would start to get more into the medical side. You know, what is our treatment modality for this kind of person? Are we doing more of you know, say treating the neck, or is it more of a vestibular thing? So we we have those processes in, in place, but you know, to your point, like it's kind of a forever working model, right? Because you're always getting new information or meeting other people, and um, you know, I I, I did years ago a, a course that uh, Mike Potenza set up through uh, James Laval. And, you know, he was talking about metabolic blood mapping. And that was like a mind blowing experience. It's like, holy man, I know nothing. Um, so, yeah, these 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 different these different models and processes are, are always adapting and then they need to be applied to the individual. Like we, we can't forget that. 
and you have some guys with different backgrounds and belief systems on what nutrition is. So you might have a strong recommendation and the guy will go, I'm not taking that or I'm not doing that. So then it's like, okay, well, how do I adapt it to work with that guy? So if they don't believe in taking supplements, then how do I hit it from a full, uh, you know, a, a whole food uh, approach? Um, so yeah, it's always a working model. Something you said in, in your podcast with Anthony was that there's a difference between something being interesting and something being important. And I think that can kind of tie in here in like the education stuff, but then also like how you're communicating that. So why don't you, why don't you tell, tell us the story of like maybe working with coaches and like, how do you determine for them what's like important for them to know? Maybe it's with players, like what's important for them to know versus just interesting. Yeah. Like <laughs> I told the story on, on, on Anthony's podcast um where we we hired ken hitchcock he came on kind of earlier part of the season but i didn't get the opportunity to have an off season with him where you know you're having more philosophical conversations and you know you're talking about things that you do things that you collect you know where you kind of have your place on the team or where you impact certain areas i didn't get that opportunity so you know ken got hired on and it's like hit the ground running. I think the first day he was in the facility, we played that night. So things happened quick. And we had, we started on the road. It was a tight schedule. We just had a really good start. I think we won seven games in a row. And then we went on a little bit of a losing skid. And, you know, Ken brought everybody, all the different departments into, into his office. And, you know, he talked about things that we're doing well and things or areas that we need to improve on. And one thing he said to me is, Chad, graphs don't win championships. And at that time, and this is just what I did with coaches, is I would put together my report, I'd email it to them, and then I would follow up at the end of the day. And that was just a system that was working well for me, uh, you know, previous to Ken. And there was always a follow-up. So it's not like I was just sending graphics to send graphics. There was always, you know, a follow-up conversation where we could kind of chat about what we're seeing. And for him... He, he, he just didn't want like that system. He didn't want an email. He didn't want me to send anything. He didn't want a graph. He wanted to know, what do I need to know? What is the meaningful piece of information? So that was a learning experience for me is, you know, I had to adapt to different personalities. And in this world, I'm not in charge. He is, the coach is. Um, so we need to adapt to the coach and we need to do a good job of figuring out, you know, how they want to communicate or how they want to see, receive information. And it's not at all that Ken was resistant to what I was doing or what we were doing or the metrics that we were collecting. He was actually really, he was very interested and very open to it. Um, he just didn't want me to send a graphic. He wanted to have a face-to-face -face conversation, which, which I respect that. You know, that's something that we start to lose in the digital world is, you know, everything's done through, through our computers and there's no personal side to things anymore. So I stopped sending my reports. And then at the end of the day, I would check in with him and 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 it would be short and sweet and we would talk about meaningful information not interesting information which i think that was something again i was probably at fault at with my reporting system is i was reporting everything like hey this is cool this is kind of interesting um where now i got down to what what is meaningful what do you need to know mm. i'm thinking about this on the fly so like i'm trying to like think of a framework for this so it's almost like Anything interesting as a strength coach, you always want to be intaking. Like you want to be taking in like nutrition, like supplementation, like what whatever it is. But then how you what you're communicating to other people, whether that's players, coaches, other staff members, you have to kind of you have to distill that into what's truly important. So there's almost this difference of like 
intaking versus outtaking almost has this like paradoxical feel to it. Exactly. Yeah, cool. exactly. Okay, cool. So then I'm going to flip the question. Be like, so we know maybe something isn't important for Ken Hitchcock to know or head coach to know, but what's something, so what's something that to you right now is interesting that you're thinking about that you think like might be important, um, but you're not sure it's important yet. You're in, in that like exploratory learning phase. Yeah. Um, exploratory learning phase. So something that we we've, we've kind of added on this year is this new system that kind of puts some context around our GPS information. So what I mean by that is you get all this great information from GPS, but it's just numbers, right? You don't really see how it relates to anything or what happened or what the event was. You just know they hit X amount of accelerations or decelerations. And this was the, you know, the, the velocities that they did it at. And, and that, that, that's, that's about it. So this new system that we've been kind of playing with is we can actually overlay the information. So we can see that moment in time of what they did and what that event actually looks like, which is really cool. I still don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, but that's, yeah, that's something kind of new that we're, we're playing with. And, you know, I, 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 put that article together, as you know, on, on, on the SCAF site there on eccentric training. And that's kind of like the next step of evaluation that we're looking at. So, you know, in that article, we mentioned doing some change of direction testing on top of that, we do some K box stuff. We do some force plate stuff. Um, but now it's like, okay, well, how is that impacting the game itself? Um, and, and again, we could look at values over time, but what does that event look like? So are they able to use, you know, all these new tools, are they able to apply all these new tools, you know, in terms of hardware work, um, you know, into a game setting? And then longitudinally, are we seeing improvement? So are they playing faster consistently? Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the new thing that I'm kind of playing with. And, and right now, I'm trying to figure out, is this just interesting? Or is this impactful? So I'm going through that that process right now. Um, you know, something else that we're working on this summer is our, our, our sport, our sports psychology department. Um, you know, we've had different people in that role over the years. And, you know, we have a, a guy that named Dr. Marty Morazic that's kind of running that department or really trying to spearhead that department right now. And, you know, we're looking at bringing on a couple other staff members. So as kind of a performance group, so like myself, the medical guys, our head physician, um, Dr. Morazic. Um, so as a group, we're trying to figure out, okay, who's the right person to help us? And then, you know, how can we improve what we've done in the past? Like, how can we be more impactful at the NHL level? And then how can we be more impactful at the development level? Um, so yeah, those are some things that we're trying to figure out, some problems that we're trying to currently solve. Okay, cool. I promise I'll bring this back to hockey, but I'm going to broaden the question one more time. What's something that you find interesting that may not be connected to strength conditioning directly? That may be like a book you're reading or like a different topic you're interested in. And yeah, that's the topic. So something unrelated to strength conditioning directly. Something unrelated, to, but but will still impact strength and conditioning. You're saying it has to tie back or completely unrelated? Completely unrelated. It can tie back, but it does not have to. And I'll give context wow. on why I like this question. And if okay. it bombs, I'll cut um, it. Something completely unrelated. Well, my I have three kids, 
And my kids are starting, at least two of them are going to get, are getting to that age where, you know, they can, they can do more from an activity standpoint. Um, so my new kind of like life problem that I'm trying to solve is how can I mold and develop these little athletic creatures? Um, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like my, my daughter, um, my, my oldest daughter is seven and we've gotten big into like rock climbing. And, you know, it's fun. It's problem solving. So we go to the rock climbing place. We look at these different problems and it's cool to watch her kind of figure it out. And, you know, there's obviously like this active mobility strength component to it. And she's getting strong. Like th this kid can do like a two and a half minute dead hang now. And, and then Ninja Warrior, we complement that with Ninja Warrior. So we go to Ninja Warrior and, you know, I, I can't help her as much with Ninja Warrior. So she goes there and it's like, this fun kind of cool chill environment where instructors are like, Hey, let's just play or, Hey, I jumped from here to here. Can you do that? Or I swung from here to there. Can you do that? And then also with that, we're pairing that with gymnastics. So gymnastics is like super structured, still lots of movement has a heavy strength component. It's still one of those individual sports. So she's getting more instructions. Um, and, and it's very formal. So it's like, this is how you do a somersault. This is how you properly do a cartwheel. This is how you do a handstand. You know, this is how you hold yourself up. So I think it pairs well with the other things because it, it it's so structured. And then my mind is like, okay, well, what other boxes do I need to check? So I'm thinking like hand-eye coordination. So we've started tennis. So now she's doing more lateral multi-direction movement. Um, there's a hand-eye component. There's a reactionary component to it. And then on top of that, team sports. I think she needs to be exposed to team sports. So we've started soccer. So now she gets to work with a team. She needs gets to problem solve with a team. She needs she learns how to again play soccer, kick a ball, use her feet now versus versus her hands. So that's kind of like the problem that I'm trying to solve now is is how can I develop this well rounded athlete? Um, yeah. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. I love that. I feel like. I just can't wait for two years from now when you have some article about like, like three strength conditioning lessons I learned from my kids or something like that. And like how, how it's going to connect, like who, who, like who knows like what, like what'll click and like, like, Oh, we should try this. Like who knows? What yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's what's so cool. A lot of times about strength conditioning is it, it ends up connecting with so many, so many different things and tying it all together. Totally. It's, it's funny. I was at a conference years ago and Cal Dietz was speaking and at that time, he was big into Omega Wave. I think he's still big into Omega Wave. And he was talking about his, I think his son was, I don't know, he was maybe eight or 10 or something like that on the uh, at the time. And he wanted to put this Omega Wave on his kid and see how his kid was recovering and adapting. And he was talking about everything he was doing. Like he was, you know, going having recess. He was going to hockey practice. He was going to soccer practice. He was, and he was showing a picture of him at the end of the day. And he's just dead lying on the ground. And he's putting this Omega wave on him and, you know, he's watching this kid recover. Like every day he's rebounding and, you know, he's doing Omega wave testing with all these older athletes, these uh, adults, and, you know, they're struggling and they're looking for all these different recovery tools. But, you know, this young aerobic mobile athlete just keeps adapting and, you know, and, and, and thriving with, with volume. So a little bit of a side thing. I thought that was kind of funny and interesting. Yeah. I love that. Interesting. We'll know. We'll see. We'll find out if it's important. Uh, yeah, but... Exactly. Um, all right, let's shift gears a little bit, gives people something a little more tactical. Let's talk about eccentric training, eccentric training. I'm sure a lot of our listeners understand. I'm sure a lot of them use it. Um, but why don't we give a basic, basic background about what is eccentric training and what is the, 
basic rationale for why that helps helps ice hockey players or just athletes in general? Yeah, um, I'll give you a bit of my rationale. Um, I think maybe I, I bucket it a little bit different than other people. But so I think all of us agree that e-center training is, is valuable. Um, where I always struggled with it is I found it to be dangerous. Um, you know, you're loading up weight releasers and labor intensive. You're loading, loading up weight releasers or you're having to do manual tension. Um, you know, I, I've gone down the path of like, okay, I, I, I don't want to do manual tension and it makes me scared if I'm overloading it. So then you're just doing motor control and then you're not really getting any kind of adaptation because you're not introducing enough, you know, stress eccentrically. Um, so me and Patrick Love, my, my, my old assistant, we were like, well, there's got to be a better way. And so we were looking at different products out there. And I think it was Mike Young and uh, Angus Ross were probably the two first guys that I heard talk about, you know, flywheel training. And I know flywheel training has existed for many, many years, but they're the first two guys that kind of brought it on the radar for me. So it was, I'm going to say about nine years ago, we, we purchased a, a K-Box um, through Exogen, and, or sorry, through Eccentrics. And that was just the product that we decided to go with. I think that was the one that Mike was using. So we decided to go, to go with them and they've been great to us over the years. So we brought in a K-Box and that first year, we got it in the summertime. So that first summer we were playing with it, you know, we were just trying different things. We were doing, you know, squats, we were doing lateral squats, we were doing splits. And admittedly, I think we completely loaded it wrong. I think we were either too heavy or we were too light and we didn't quite get the result that we wanted out of it. And it was like, man, like, are we, are we investing our time in the right areas? And then we started doing a little bit more research and playing around with some different kind of styles of training for us. And, you know, we started adding in, um, you know, hands assisted where we were trying to get the athlete to pull themselves up so we could spin the wheel a little faster. So we were creating more inertial load on that eccentric side. Um, you know, we were doing a little bit of manual stuff, which I don't love. Um, that's where I, the hands assisted is, you know, so perfect for me because I don't have to physically get in there and, and pull somebody. Um, and then we started playing with this breaking technique where it's like, okay, get the athlete to pull up. And then the athlete, you know, hits, the, hits the ground as hard as they can and they break as fast as they can. And then they try and get out of it. So we were playing with these different styles. We started throwing the K meter on and looking at like, okay, what is our velocities? What kind of eccentric loads are we starting, starting to create? And they were like, okay, well, you know, with, with weight training, you could quantify, different areas. So if I'm working with, you know, 80%, I'm in a power range. If I'm working above that, I'm in, you know, a strength training range. When I put on a BBT device, if, you know, I'm trying to get a little bit more velocity, I should be at this speed. If I'm trying to be strength, I'm trying to be at this speed. So we were kind of like thinking that way when we started looking at the K meters is like, okay, what kind of velocities do we want to look at? What kind of eccentric loads do we want to look at? And then we started getting good results. And, you know, we were doing stuff like force plate jumping, we were doing drop jumping and, you know, our outputs were improving, our RSIs were improving, our, our rate of force developments were improving, our eccentric loads were improving. And we're like, wow, these guys are getting better. And ultimately they were jumping higher. Um, so we're like, okay, I, th I think we're onto something. And then years later, um, Joel Jackson came on as, as my new assistant. Patty moved on to Catapult and Joel Jackson came in. And Joel Jackson has quite a bit of knowledge and experience on the on-ice testing side. So then we started looking at doing some on-ice tests. So then we came up with this change of direction test. And again, we were doing it kind of at the start of the summer. 
And then we were doing it at the end of the summer. And then we were able to look at it year over year. And we're like, okay, hey, these guys are starting to get faster. Um, you know, we're starting to impact more than just gym metrics. And then we're like, okay, well, you know, what are other things? How, how, how do we manage this stress? So we're not over baking it, over introducing it. How can we manage it throughout the week? And, you know, kind of going back a handful of years, me and, and Patrick Love got tied into a guy named Fergus Conley. And we started off, we reached out to him. We actually ended up doing a bit of a mentorship with him and then building a friendship with him. And we started to think more about this whole ta- concept of tactical periodization. So how do we manage stress and how do we not only manage stress in the gym, but how do we manage it holistically? So then it's like, okay, well, well, where should we place this? Where does it fit best in our week? And then what else can we do on the ice that will complement it um, versus being counterproductive? So then that way we're taking this hardware software approach. And then how do we eventually get to a point where we're not taking a reductionist approach of only working on change of direction or only working on sprinting? but building game context around what we're doing. And so that, 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 that article was kind of our whole brainchild, at least on the eccentric side, we've kind of put together and I, I hope it made sense to most people. Truthfully, I had about 20 more pages before I sent it to you, uh, but I, I thought it was just, just too much. So I had to pull stuff back. And honestly, I hate when somebody throws out one little piece of information, like this is a cool eccentric exercise, or this is a cool whatever. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Where do I place it? How do I do it? How do I load it? What do I pair it with? So that was my attempt to try and put everything together and put a little bit of context and kind of, you know, explain how we're monitoring it, uh, monitoring it over time. But yeah, eccentrics has definitely been something that we've we've adapted into into our workout routine. And I think using you know tools like the K Box, I think it's safe. And I, I think it's more, more productive. Like we're doing it more dynamically. We're matching speeds and contact times that we see in, in hockey. And we're just getting now better results. I absolutely love that, that you took all the stuff you'd done for years. And then Joel came in and was like, let's do it on ice. Cause that just, just makes so much sense knowing Joel and a lot of the stuff that he's really interested in. So that article, which also has, totally. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, totally. Like, like I said, it was, you know, we, I think me and Patty were thinking a lot about, you know, how can we place this contextually and how does this fit into our whole tactical periodization model? Um, and then Joel came in with, yeah, his experience in testing and it was like, well, how can we quantify it? Um, and, and again, not just in the gym, but in, in, in the environment, which is the most important thing. Right. Which goes back to one of the first things you said about like, it's always about the context and like, how, how does this actually matter? What is, what yeah. is so that article, which also has an awesome title, guys, Thinking Outside the K-Box. Amazing. Um, I got I got to give that one to P-Love. Patrick cool. Love came up with that one. Awesome. Uh, well, he, he has proper credit now. It's a really long article, and there's something for everyone. I think I'll, I'll also give a piece of advice generally if you're trying to write for our website, even if you're not an NHL strength coach, is, yeah, like, I love the quick exercises that are good for Instagram and get a ton of likes. And everyone's like, yeah, you guys should post more videos like this. And that's awesome. But I also love what you said about, like, what is the context of all of this? And the nice thing with longer articles is you don't need to read every word. Like, it's broken up by section. It's broken up with videos. Like, if you've never heard of a K-Box, you could see that article and be like, okay, I, like, understand the basics of eccentric training. If you're a high-level NHL strength coach, you can see this article make, oh, like there's this one little, like there's this one little addition that they have that I didn't think of. So that's uh yeah, 
great job with the article with the article. I like that it was long. Um, it would have been bordering on on a on a novella if you'd sent me twenty more pages. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, I think this is uh any any other big topics you want to hit on? Anything else related to eccentric training you want to touch on? Or um, actually, I can get into some. Yeah, we'll answer that. And then uh, I have some questions from the Instagram audience because I did I did post on Instagram that I was interviewing you and asked for questions. Okay. Okay. Um. So the first one that I liked was. What's your favorite active recovery? I know you have kids, so you're probably thinking about games. You know, is it spike ball? Is it pickleball? Is it rock climbing? This is for you. This could be, you could take this any direction. This could be you personally or like the one you like best with, with your, with your players. Well, we do in the summertime, we actually do on Wednesdays, just the way we build our programming. Wednesdays is kind of like our active recovery day. And you know, going into and not saying that there's anything wrong with this, but going into the gym and, you know, doing some mobility exercises or soft tissue, it, you know, it can be kind of boring, right? And guys do that every single day throughout the year. So I'm always thinking of like, okay, hey, how can we make it fun? And then how can we check other boxes? So it's fun. It's competitive. We're moving in different directions. We're, you know, we're having to think in different ways. You know, sometimes we try and change our hands. So we're using one hand versus the other. So the thing that we're kind of into now this year is is pickleball. That's kind of our our new active recovery um, active recovery game that we've been doing. And you know, guys have been getting into it. And I've done different racket sports over the years. Like we did tennis and we did squash. And I find pickleball so far has been the best for that day because it does what I want it to do. So my, what I mean by that is playing tennis or playing squash is super fatiguing because we were going like one-on-one -on -one and none of us were very good at it. So we were like running back and forth on the court and covering way more, more, more mileage than we needed to cover. And guys would come in on Thursday and Friday and we would be fatigued. We'd be tired. So it was kind of being counterproductive. So now we're, this year we're, we're getting into two-on-two -two pickleball. So I don't know how familiar you are with pickleball, but it's kind of a smaller court and the ball doesn't move quite as quick as say squash or, or tennis. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been fun. And, you know, in the past we've done spike ball, we've done rock climbing and stuff like that. And um, you know, as the years go on and guys are with you, I think it's important to try different things and introduce some, some different movements. And so pickleballs are, are new in this year and it's, it's been pretty fun. I love that. Yeah, pickleball is a blast. And you're right. Like pickleball is the type of game you could like bring a date on. Like it's not, it's not super totally. Like, but well, and, and if you're somewhat athletic, like you can pick it up pretty quick. For sure. Yeah. There's I think tennis has like a much higher like barrier to entry. Like you get some I'm sure there's some guys who surprisingly are like just brutal at tennis and some guys who are just wiping the court. I'm guessing like a huge spread. Yeah, like all, all your European guys are usually pretty good at racket sports. Like they played racket sports growing up and they they can pick up any game like we got Matias Ekholm this summer and you know he's got a background in 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 tennis and over there they play paddle tennis. I played is, paddle tennis in Spain. Yeah, so yeah, I, it's quite a bit different than pickleball. Yeah. Um, so he's never really played pickleball in like day one. I I not that I have that much experience, but you know day one of him coming, I think he was he was beating me come 30, 35 minutes in. So. Nice. Um, he was a quick learner so yeah europeans are typically good at, yeah. at sports 
cool yeah paddles awesome the the like the I, I know it's popular in spain but there's a there's a board in the back so it kind of has that squash element to it where you have to like yeah directions anyway it's super fun all right another, yeah. another instagram question this is this is the direct quote have to ask give us some insight into what it's like to work with number 97 i'll adjust this question a bit um just to like maybe give you a little more direction what's something obviously he's incredible what's something you've learned from him maybe it's just like observing him other than like learned how absurdly skilled he is at hockey like like what's something just from like being around him and seeing him um that you've learned he's he's probably one of the most intense athletes i've come across like he's 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 very serious he's very committed to winning um yeah there's uh, there's no one that wants to win the way 97 wants to win he is so competitive and he's such a hard worker. Like it doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter if it's a practice. It doesn't matter if it's a rehab skate. It doesn't matter if it's a workout. Like he, he puts a hundred percent into everything that he's doing and he wants to do it right. And he's, he's always looking for more. You actually have to kind of pull him, him back a little bit. Um, Cause he, he always wants more. And if you're not around, like there's sometimes on the road, like I might get caught up doing something, something else on, on a post game. And if he wants to work out, he's just going to get in there and start doing something. Right. So it's important to always be there. So you can always, always kind of help him and manage what he's doing. Cause obviously he plays a lot of minutes. Um, but man, that guy is, is a hard worker and he is committed to win. He wants to win. And, and, you know, he, he's a great person, very good person. I think, um, you know, in, in, in the media, I think he can, you know, come across, I don't know, some people I've heard people comment on, on, he can be a little bit cold sometimes, but, he, he's actually a, a great human with a really good heart. He's a good person. Very good person. Yeah. For we, us normal humans can't imagine being in that spotlight for sure. Like it's, it's a definitely a, a different breed that like, like, I know people who are pretty well known and it's, it's just, you're just living a different life. So I well, especially in a market like Edmonton too, like Edmonton's such a hockey city where, you know, he's under the spotlight all the time and he's a pretty recognizable figure, right? It's a lot different than being, you know, maybe in a California market where you can go out and about and you're not going to get recognized where, you know, he gets recognized everywhere he goes. Yeah. Yeah. The intensity. I remember Sidney Crosby during an interview and it was either the 2016 or 2017 final. Someone asked him like, does so-and-so thing like give you extra motivation? Like talking about some event and he goes, I don't need any more motivation. Like if you need, if you need more motivation now, like you're, you're in the wrong place. And I thought that was like hundred percent. Yeah. The best player. That's Connor. That's Connor. He's, he impresses me every day. The guy works harder than anybody. He's it's, yeah, it's good. And great for our group. Everybody sees it and he elevates everybody else by leading by example. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, it's always cool to hear stories like that. I know like Mike Potenza shared some really cool stories to me about like the Joes and stuff. So it's always fun to, to hear, hear about some of the players. Um, this has been super fun, man. We've gone, we've gone a lot of different directions. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Anything that's, that's on your mind? Um, yeah no i I, no i I think it was good we definitely went a few different directions but yeah no i i I think i'm good yeah awesome well um everybody will have links to things we discussed in the show notes the eccentric article will be there um you can follow this up with with chad's episode with anthony donskov um so yeah chad thanks for joining me this was this was super fun great yeah thanks david it was good Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find links to everything we discussed, including Chad's interview with Anthony Donskov and his article on Essential Training 
uh, in the show notes. And then, of course, one-stop shop for everything, our website, ProHockeyStrength.com. Thanks for listening.